0: no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
1: your mission should you choose to accept it it's a quest it's a quest for fun Well, The Rock says, why don't we just cut right to the chase?
0: Okay, now he, uh, you know, he wants to get together. Well, you know, he wants to talk. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me.
1: It's showtime, folks! What are you? I'm
3: Greetings and salutations. Welcome to And I Quote, the weekly show where we introduce you to content creators of all shapes and sizes that join us from many and all corners of the nerd universe, and we take your questions. I am your host, Ryan of NerdCulture, and our guest this week is fantasy writer Brian D. Anderson. Please welcome him to the program. Brian, how you doing, brother?
2: Hey, great, man. Thanks for having me.
3: And thank you for being here. We greatly appreciate it. Now, if you have any questions for Brian D. Anderson as we go throughout the course of this show, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the live chat. Our producers are going to keep keeping an eye on that as you go throughout the course of the program. But in the meantime, Brian, what would you say were some of your favorite
2: books or writers growing up? Oh, well, you know, the um, first book I remember actually remember reading was uh, Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. But um, uh, it was a little above my head when I tried to read it. I think it was like eight some, or seven or eight years old. So it's a little over my head but I love the cover. I had, had a ship and a pie, you know, on the cover, you know, that was like back. It was, you know, we're talking back in the 1970s. Um, so that where they would, all the covers look like oil paintings, especially on the classics. But when you got, when I, what I got me into fantasy um, was Tolkien, just like a lot of uh, other writers, my age and, and um My uh, uncle had a bedroom that still at my grandparents' house that still had all his stuff in it from when he was a kid. When we would spend the night there, um, I would read the books that he had left over. And the Tolkien book was one of the last ones that I had ever picked up. He had all the Tom Swift Jr. books and a bunch of stuff like that. And I finally picked up this old copy of Fellowship of the Ring. And I just fell in love with it. And I had to leave it there, though, because it wasn't mine to take. And I eventually got in touch with my uncle, and he said, "Oh yeah, of course I could take it with me." And then from there, I mean, I just remember all these great writers that came up, especially during the '80s. Like I remember Terry Brooks's uh, debut. Um, Magic Kingdom Magic Kingdom for sale was such an inspirational book it you know it kind of showed me that you didn't have to write like Tolkien to enjoy fantasy and I, I remember the Zanx novels and um god just so many and you know, I was also really heavily into science fiction at the time I, I was reading Asimov the the foundation series and the robot books you know I robot no robot dreams and all those kind of, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, my influences began with um, the who who was it? And during the um, early '80s, basically. So, um, I remember when I got a little older, reading Orson Scott Card, and you know, um, God, the the list just really just continues on and on. But I promise you, if you, if you go to uh, the uh, look at Sanderson or Dan Wells or or Patrick Rothfuss and their list of books, you're going you're gonna to find that we have a very similar um, list of inspirations from, from our early years.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good, uh, good response there. Good response. Quick sidebar though. What are your thoughts? Not counting the prequels, but I'm just curious. What are your thoughts on the original Lord of the Rings trilogy that's already turned 20 this year? And number two, what do you think about the prequel series that's coming out with the, with the, with the rings of power?
2: Well, if you're talk about the movies, uh, I think Peter Jackson did a fantastic job with those movies. Um, we finally um, technology progressed to a point to where uh, those movies could could be made. And I know that people wanted to do it a long time ago, but really the, the CGI and the things you would need to make those movies it really didn't come around until Peter Jackson um, did that, but he did a fantastic job. I know some people criticize um, him for not sticking strictly to, to the books, but you know, I don't see how he could have. Um, I know a lot of people wanted to see Tom Bombadil. Um, uh, Tom Bombadil is one of my favorite characters in all Tolkien lore, but he didn't really do anything to move the story forward. So, I mean, he, 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 he had to, be sacrificed to keep telling that story. So to me, the original uh, three books, uh, the, the three, uh, three movies were so, some of the greatest pieces pieces of cinema ever created. Um, the prequel toilet, uh, the prequels, um, I don't know what to feel about that. You know I mean? Um, I, I'm hearing a lot of things, both positive and negative. Um, And I don't want to jump on the negative bandwagon, but at the same time, I really love the Tolkien lore. And um, I'm I'm almost afraid to see it because I'm afraid to be disappointed like I was with the Hobbit movies. Uh, I I really thought the the Hobbit was a a misstep with the Hobbit movies. And I don't want to, like I said, I I, I love the lore so much to see somebody butcher it would really upset me. So it's, I'm sort of up in the air about what, even if I even want to see it, because, like I said, I keep on hearing. It has nothing to do with the, who, who's playing whose role or um, I'm not bringing any sort of identity politics into my into my judgment. But if you're talking about sticking to the lore itself and to the story and to Tolkien's vision, then. I think, you know, either write either write what Tolkien intended or don't, you know, or, or or do something else. That's kind of where I fall on that. I don't care who plays a hobbit, who plays an elf, that kind of stuff. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the storytelling. So um the hobbit, though, I mean, oh, my God. They tried to take a a children's book and turn it into a a, a three movie series, a three movie adult um, series of adult movies, and it it was a children's book. They should Mm -hmm. have made it children. uh, They should have made it into a younger movie. The the whole they had to force a romantic interest in there between an elf and a dwarf, which was ridiculous. They um, all the th- some of the cho- some of the choices they made were um, meant to I think make it appeal to older audiences. Mm-hmm. And it was a book that was ne- it, re- it was from a book that was never meant to appeal to older readers.
3: There you go, there you go. Fair points, fair points. Absolutely, we'll see. We 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 shall see what happens with how they're moving forward with the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, which I believe is an Amazon Prime series. It's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where the chips fall, where they may. But when did you decide to become a writer, Brian?
2: Well, I, I always um, enjoyed writing um, I, I, as a hobby and I always kind of had a flair for it. My wife had encouraged me um, to um, take it more seriously and I just never did. I just never really saw myself as, you know, doing that for a living. I, I, I my, I thought you had to go get your PhD in literature in order to be a, a to be a to be a writer. I didn't, what did I know? I just knew I enjoyed it and people liked what I did. It wasn't until I was nearly 40 actually that um I was, you know, I would write for, you know, just for fun, you know, just a way to blow off creative steam and my son who was about 7 years old at the time he came um, up to me and said, said hey, uh, Dad, I got this idea for a story, and he wanted to tell it to me. So I listened to it, and I thought it was amazing, and um, he asked me if I'd write it. I said, absolutely. So um, I put down what I was doing and had to change things up, you know, because he was seven. There were certain things that needed to be <laughs> to, needed to be fixed. But it came out, uh, the first book of the Goblin Chronicles. And um, this was right at the um, onset of the in- indie explosion during the 2010 to 2012 period. And I just came around at the right time. And it was a really good story. My writing at the time was still very amateurish. I, I, there were some lessons I hadn't quite learned yet and things I, I, that, I, that I, I think I do better now. But um the um, but the but the story was solid and people loved it, and it launched my career. I can it, it in no time. Uh, book two came out and I'd sold fifty thousand copies in, in in like almost no time at all. And by the time I got to the third book, books one and two were just staying on the top three, four, five of the Amazon charts, and um it just sort of that's how it sort of happened for me and my career just sort of took off from there
3: well congratulations to that once again we're talking with fantasy writer brian d anderson here on this episode of and i quote make sure you like and share this video with all 200 of your closest friends they're going to like the way they look after watching or listening to this episode (laughs) of and i quote i guarantee it if you got any questions for brian d anderson during any portion of the show let us know in the comments we would love to hear from you we encourage it very much so with that being said what would you
2: say are some of the biggest rewards about being a writer the people you meet, the fans, um, the lives you get to touch the, um, uh, the one, 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 life, uh, one life in particular. Um, and I, I love telling this story. So, um, please indulge me. The, um, the, it was not long after the second book of the Godling Chronicles came out that I received a letter from a, a woman named Helen in the UK. And she, um, said that she was a foster mom and she would take on special needs uh, children. There's one child in particular. Her name's Christy. I can say that now because she's um, uh, reached the age of majority, but at the time she only knew her as Kay because she was a minor. And um, Christy had some issues. She had some um, emotional issues. She had some genetic problems. Uh, She was um, um, mildly autistic. And I mean, so she had a real rough time, and was abandoned by her, by her uh, parents, and they took her on holiday. And what she, when when a child's autistic, one of the things that you have to take into account is routine had the importance of routine. And that was um, with uh, with Christy. The routine was they would read the Horrid Henry books at the end, at bedtime, and that was. But she never really engaged. She would just lay there. Staring into nothing while the book was being read. And at the end of the story, she would go to sleep. Well, they forgot the Horrid Henry books now, um, which was, this is bad news. So, but one of Helen's daughters, um, had read the first book of the Goblin Chronicles, um, and said, Hey, I have this. There's nothing in it. Cause I wrote it as a YA fantasy. And, um, there's nothing in it that's inappropriate. So, so the first night didn't go well though. Reading, reading, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't enjoy it. Second night, no better. But by the third night, a character was introduced that kind of sounded like her name, and she identified. And she goes, "That's my name." He goes, "Yeah, yeah." So, she started really listening, and um, really identifying with the story, and just it made it such a deep connection. To this story that because of the ways the characters interacted instead of like she would have been kicked out of all her schools because of violent outbursts and, and showing inappropriate aggression she started actually taking on a nurturing role because of the way the characters interacted in the book and like it, it had a such a profound effect on her life i mean that i could have never anticipated my silly little story having on on somebody's life and so And she wrote me and telling me about all this by the end of the letter. I mean, it's probably about a six page letter. I was in tears and I actually, I'm still, I'm still um, friends with Helen and um, to this day. And, uh, but I remember at the time I wrote uh, Christie, a a letter from one of the characters and she was going to go see her parents. And, um, and at the end of each Meeting, she would cry and, and not understanding why they had abandoned her. But at the end of this meeting, Helen had put on the seat the letter that she knew who it was from. So she was just excited about the letter. And at the end of it, she was like, You know, I don't need them. I have you. And then, and just talking to Helen. And that's it, like I so said, that to me, that is the best part about being a writer when you can actually have a significant positive impact on somebody. And even though we're telling silly little stories that in the big scheme of things that don't mean a lot, but it can mean something profoundly. uh, It can be so touching and so so meaningful to the reader. And you just never know who and when when, that will happen to and when it will happen. But when it does, it's just, there's nothing quite like it.
3: Oh my goodness gracious. That is amazing, Brian. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. That is great stuff. It really is. And on the the flip side of the coin though, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges about being a writer?
2: Oh, wow. That uh, was, it. it's not easy ke- uh, being greasy. Um, <laughs> sometimes you have to push through um, creatively when you're not feeling creative um, and, yeah people have this misconception that you know we sit here and, and all of a sudden the muse strikes and then we start creating now we got deadlines and we have we have to push we have we have people that are counting on us doing our job and so
1: <laughs>
2: writing under those conditions sometimes can be very tra- challenging mentally and emotionally physically it's challenging because it's very hard to stay fit when you when you're sitting behind a desk pounding on a keyboard hours and hours at a time so i mean the uh the life of your average writer is not what you would anybody would consider glamorous i mean it's very rewarding don't get me wrong i wouldn't want to do anything else but it's it's it can be a lot of work and it can really test who you are in in ways that you wouldn't have anticipated that i wouldn't have anticipated going in
3: oh i see i see i see well that's that's understandable that's understandable for sure and when it comes to some of the things you've worked on or should i should i say you some of the books and the works that you've published in the past and once again these are in no particular order for those who may be watching or listening to this but i do want to share something with you here i'm just curious this one the swords is it elegy? Am I saying that right? The swords,
2: uh, the sword's elegy, yes.
3: I did say that right. Okay, so I'm not a complete mess up. I try to do my best on this show.
1: Folks. You're doing I do. great.
3: So, so the, I, I'm doing my bloody best here, all right? So the sword's elegy, what exactly is that, and how did you come up with this idea?
2: Okay, the sword's elegy is book three in the Sorcerer's Song series, and it's coming out November 1st through Tor Books. Oh. And... Um, the the first book is called the barge blade which you have on the uh, on the sc- on the screen behind me and the way that the way that whole series came about was it's, it's kind of funny i would um i had just finished the second book in the um sequel to the godling chronicles and i was i was a little burnt out and i needed kind of a palate cleanser and i'd never never done uh flash fiction before and i didn't know how to do it and um, this Mark, uh, real big fan of Mark Lawrence, is um, got on um, this this writing and reading site that, uh, or group that I'm a part of, and said that he w- it was put on a flash fiction contest. Mm-hmm. Had to be 300 words, had to have this word and this word in it. And I'm like, ah, yeah, what the hell? I'll give it a try, and failed miserably. Couldn't keep it under 300 words, but by the end of it. I had an idea that turned out to be this entire series that we sold to tour. <laughs> My goodness gracious,
3: the the thing the things that happen when you least expect it. Oh
2: Yeah, man. Life's kind of fun, funny old life, isn't it?
3: <laughs> and, and you brought this up a moment ago, and once again, we're looking at this image of the sword's elegy, but to, just to give the person watching or listening an idea, you're referring to the bard's blade. Yeah. So that you have in your background there
2: and the bard's blade is the first of, the, of a series the first book is the bard's blade second book is a chorus of fire ah. and the third book's called the bard's elegy there's a music theme going on because you have bard magic one of the two main characters is a musician mm-hmm. so oh. yeah, that sort of goes through it's 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 classic um epic high fantasy um it's I don't. I wouldn't say I'm breaking any any molds uh, with the story, but I was able to really develop these characters and try to make them try to make them relatable to the reader in a way that you can sort of see yourself as they in them as they grow, and sort of ask yourself, would you have made the same choices that this character made? Uh, one of the main characters, the musician Lim, <laughs> he has thrown down a very dark path. Um, even but still manages to hang on to the good part of him that that set him he went down a very dark path for a very good reason
3: you know <laughs> ah, gotcha. and, so That sounds similar to certain
2: other characters you may have come across in our readings so yeah and then the the other main character Mariah she has a harder time of it when she um, goes she's on kind of a separate art altogether, especially in the beginning, has a hard, harder time of it initially. And by the end, you start to realize something about her. Towards the end, that you know a lot of the things that she's doing, that was who she was all along. You know, what I mean, and and you know, and I try to pose the question: How much of what we do is is acquired through through our experience? And how much of what we do is just revealed because of our experience? Mm, fascinating
3: stuff. And I'm digging it. And you mentioned, I believe it was the second book in this series. That would be the, cor- the cor- A course, the course of Fire. Of fire I yeah. say. Really good looking covers, man. Seriously, yeah, I look at these oh, covers. I'm thinking this looks like a
2: really you know,
3: kicktail adventure I'd want to jump in on.
2: That's a good. There's actually a cool story behind that. The covers are done by Felix Ortiz. Uh, he oh. did stuff with Rob Hayes, bunch of mm-hmm. guys. He's a re- very talented artist. Super neat guy. Um, I'd seen him in certain groups. I, <clears throat> I was in. Now, um, my my editor over at Tour. She was also Nicholas Eames's editor when she worked at Orbit when uh, for mm-hmm. Kings of the Wild, and. Um, when Davy Pillai came over to tour, she brought, brought, um, my editor over there with, uh, with her. Now, back when, uh, Kings of the Wild came out, Felix had done some fan art for that book and she saw it and really was impressed by it. Now, fast forward two years, she's, um, she, uh, she calls me up and she goes, Hey, um, I want you to take a look at this guy's art. And, um, do you know who he is? I, I knew who he was. I didn't know him, but I knew I'd, I'd seen him before. So I, I take a look at it. I said, yes, yeah, brilliant. No problem. Let's do that. You know, if you, I'm happy to use this guy, he says "Our department will almost certainly go with our with with, with this guy, uh, but we can't say anything to him yet and because if it, they say no, then then I look like an asshole. So I'm like,
1: yeah, <laughs> You know, let's yeah. watch
2: what we say. Watch what
3: we oh, do. Let's not, let's not try to put the cart
2: before the horse. I, I apologize. No, it's all um, good. I, it's all good. It I, happens I, all the time. I, I don't. I don't look good in that particular circumstance. But, um so it's okay. <laughs> I um. I, so I'm for like two months, three months, I'm seeing this guy online and I, and, I, and he's been trying to break into traditional publishing for a long time, and he's even posted stuff online. Yeah, I still can't get break into traditional publishing I'm like, I'm about to change his life, and I can't say anything to him. So it's like and it comes from just two years prior him so the right person seeing his stuff, and he, he didn't know at the time. There was no way for him to predict that. And so it does kind of go to show you when, you, when you're when you putting your art out there, you're putting your shows out there, you put, whatever it is you're doing, that you don't know who's watching. So because, you know, and so uh, it's a very good reason to always put your best foot forward and always put your best work out there. You don't, even if you feel like you're spinning your wheels, somebody who can impact your life may be watching you.
3: There you go. Enough, enough said, right? Mic drop moment. Once again, we're talking with fantasy writer Brian D. Anderson here on this episode of And I Quote. Make sure you like and share this episode with all 300 of your closest friends because they're going to like the way they look after watching or listening to this episode of And I Quote. I guarantee you, if you have any questions for Brian D. Anderson as we go throughout the course of the program, let us know in the chat. Let us know in the comments. We, we would love to hear from you. Look forward to doing so. With that being said, any special Memories for you from being at conventions, whether you're there as an attendee or you're there as a vendor selling your books?
2: Well, I told you one a while back, but I don't think that one's appropriate. <laughs>
3: no, it's all right. Some things should stay in the backstage area of a respective studio. But if there's anything um, you can share with us that maybe not so, you know, off the beaten path, feel free to share with us.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I, I love doing the shows because the shows I get to actually meet existing fans and make and make new fans and and be and meet fantastic writers and celebrities and um you know like uh I've gotten to hang out hang out with uh Kevin McNally from um from Pirates of the Caribbean he was Ooh, uh, Mr. Nice. Gibbs and one of the sweetest sweetest uh, people you ever want to meet um got you know you get to meet all these really cool people but I'm really looking forward to Dragon Con this year uh, because mm-hmm. this is going to be my first year as an actual guest, and that's kind of a bucket list item for a writer. And um, I get to do, I get to do three, four panels Ooh. now. and this is not being inappropriate. These are actual panels at Dragon Con. Mm-hmm. First, I'm doing Stabity Stabity is one of the names. Talk about swords. <laughs> then I'm doing the Conan ninetieth anniversary panel. Then I'm doing Wheel of Time, the TV show, not the book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. What to ex- what we think to expect for next season? Mm-hmm. And then sex workers in fantasy. I swear to God, that's a panel. And I- <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> and and i like, and I saw it. I was like, okay, yeah, we're getting protested. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Boy, the crazy things well, no, that happen at certain well, conventions yeah, around yeah, the I'm world. I'm
2: really kind of excited about that panel. So because it's, it's an interesting topic mm-hmm. um, because it does come in brothels and stuff like that come in all the time in, in the fantasy genre. And you um, and, and these characters, the the people who work there, they can be very interesting characters. I've actually uh, like uh, my Akiri character. Um, i had 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 some interactions in that in those settings and they're important to fantasy and they're important how they relate to fantasy so it's not it's not you know i'm i'm, I'm not going to be going in there giggling like you know it's some some silly t- topics it's, it's actually it's actually quite interesting serious thing to talk about and i'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to it
3: <laughs> no i'm sure i'm sure you are and as well as <laughs> the as well as the what, you did, 90th anniversary of Conan the Barbarian?
2: 90th anniversary of that Conan is the crazy. Barbarian. That's crazy. Robert E. Howard in Strange Ooh. Tales, I think it was called, um, oh, wrote the first story of uh, Conan. That's a lot of history. That is, yeah, yeah. That is in 1922, I think it would have been, something. Like, if it's 90th anniversary.
3: Um, or oh, I think it's 1932. I think it's 1932 because we're in 2022. You take that, it's 90. Yeah. Okay, 32.
2: 1932. Yeah, it's 1932 yeah. Because you're that's right, also the, right. you
3: know so that's also the same time some of the other pulp characters were coming out the pulp magazines were coming out. You had well, guys that, like um, the Phantom. You had the Shadow. That, some you of had this stuff freaking goes back
2: even further like the uh, I was talking about Tom Swift Junior. Mm-hmm. Um, the the original Tom Swift novels came back at right, around like 1910 to 1915. Oh my god. And the, the junior books came out um, in the 50s and 60s during the, um, there's kind of the golden age of sci-fi. Yeah. You know, I guess people consider that when they, when sci-fi was, you know, got really big, you know, maybe you had all the robot movies. And um, I was, I, I, there was an interesting shift during that time too in science, science fiction, especially in the movie genre where aliens went from, being mindless creatures to being more uh, would they start one single movie changed that that was the day the earth stood still Mm -hmm. the first movie that aliens were smarter than we were
1: Hmm. we're were every
2: other time they were um more brutish monsters and stuff like that but that was that was the turning point in in that genre
0: more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have
3: it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com.
0: Play for free right now.
3: Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void required prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh,
2: my goodness oh, gracious. Why? What made me think of that?
3: No, it's okay. The more you know. So there yeah, you go. Yeah. There's nothing <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, Conan the Barbarian's a big one. And obviously I think Robert E. Howard was also involved in the, cre- in the creation of Solomon Kane, mm-hmm. another popular character. That's good stuff. And the movie for that came out like 10, what was it, like 20? I think it was almost, no, it was like 10, 12 years ago with James Purefoy playing the title role. Great underrated film is *Solomon Kane*. If you have not seen the movie *Solomon Cain, treat yourself because James Purefoy is one heck of an
2: actor. Tell you what, um, Robert Jordan was also that he uh, um, was uh, one of the writers for Conan back when he was a young writer. Uh, I remember reading some of the early. That was my first introduction to Robert Jordan was reading his Conan novels. Whoa, okay, yeah, I can dig. I can I can dig that, brother. Yeah. So with Yeah, the he did, he did. I used to love those things. That you know, I mean, you know, fantasy has evolved so much since Conan. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I get why I get why it was uh, male centric at the time because most of those kind of no- novels you had, you know, damsel in distress wrapped wrapped around Conan's leg. I mean, that's not very much there for a young lady to be interested in. Um, I I used to I used to make a joke about how to plot a Conan story Conan rides into town eats what he wants kills who he wants takes your woman there's nothing you can do about it Conan leaves town the end
3: Pretty, I would say that is pretty simple and to the point, and there you go. But that being said, man, well, congrats on becoming a guest at what is known as Dragon Con for 2022. We wish you the best of luck with those panels, especially some of them being a little bit more <clears throat> entertaining than some others. But that being said, what advice would you give to aspiring writers out there?
2: I'm just, okay, um... When I give advice through to to uh, the up, uh, some up and comer, I you try to get make it practical and something you can actually use. Um, you, writing is like anything else; it takes practice. The more you write, the better you'll get at it. There's it, it is no different than any other activity. Um, you can, thinking about writing does not make you a better writer. And read a lot. And read read critically. Read the, if you say if you like George Martin's work, and he's a brilliant writer. If you like the way George Martin writes, next time you read something by George Martin, aside from um, paying attention to the story, pay a lot of attention to how he frames dialogue, how he wh- where he where he fits description in, how he uh, you know what he, the, the 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 nuts and bolts of what he's doing. Can be, can be more informative than, than any creative writing class than you could ever take. That, like I said, and, and, and do a lot of writing. You do those two things, you will increase your skill set. As far as storytelling goes, I mean, learn the basics of story structure. It's important. Uh, I think uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone um, from South Park, um, oddly enough, gave a very simplistic but very poignant way of looking at story structure. They came into some class or something like that. The the, the video's available online. Um, The words between each instance in your story, the words and then should almost never be there. This happened, and then then this happened, then this happened, then this happened should not be the case. It should be, this happened, therefore this happened. This happened, but this happened, therefore this happened. And each part of telling a story is creating questions and then resolving them into answers. If you you continue to run on on and on and on and on and on with no resolution, the reader will eventually disengage and that you don't want that. So those are the pieces of advice I would give for aspiring writers to pay attention to that.
3: Awesome, Sauce, so awesome. and thank you so much for sharing that with us. Once again, we're talking with Brian D. Anderson, fantasy writer here in this episode of And I Quote. Make sure you share this episode with all 500 of your closest friends because they're going to like the way they look if they're watching or listening to this episode of And I Quote. I guarantee it. And also, if you have any questions for Brian D. Anderson, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the chat. We'd love to hear from you as you go throughout the course of the program. With, with that being said, you mentioned a few names earlier, but I'm just curious, who would you say are some of your favorite writers
2: of today, Brian? Oh, wow, he's a Dan Wells. Um, I'm to be to be full disclosure, I do know Dan personally, mm-hmm. but even if I even if I'd never met him. Um, uh, his writing is absolutely brilliant. Brandon Sanderson, of course. How do you not like Brandon's work? Um, oh, my God. Uh, I like, uh, for science fiction, I like Chris Riccio. He's he's a really talented young writer. Um, he's an up-and-comer. Uh, he's somebody to really look out for. R.R. Um, R. Verdi is, uh, just had his debut novel with Tor. I've read some of his work. He's a... Really talented young writer, um, nice, nice young man too. He's really worked hard. He deserves the success he's he's getting. Um, I like Abercrombie's writing a lot. Um, he loses me sometimes with the story, but I, I stay with. I would stay with it just because how brilliant a writer he is. No matter what he was writing, he, he no matter what Abercrombie's writing, he does it brilliantly. So. Um, the, um, those are some of my favorites.
3: Awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing this. I want to take this opportunity to let you know that this episode of and I Quote and every episode of And Dyke Quote is indeed powered by our good friends over there at Poddex. Now, Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your very own hand. So whether you are a new podcaster or you're an existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience or get more engagement, you're going to want to check out poddex.com. Use the code Ryan10, that's R Y A N10, all one word, Ryan10 for 10% off your first order. You're not going to miss out on that, powered by Poddex. With that being said, Brian, which actor, or which, in this case, which actor uh, would you want to play you in a movie of your life? Brad
2: Pitt, man. You know, (laughs) gotta go with Fight Club, gotta go with Tyler Durden. (laughs) No, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, God. Um, I mean, he did come out more re- more recently with Bullet Train, so there you go. You know, I, I've always, you know, he he's actually he's one of my favorite. I think he's a brilliant actor. I, I, I um, I know a lot of people in his early days thought he was like this, you know, teen heartthrob bubblegum, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of. But man, he he turned out to be such a brilliant, brilliant actor. Um, I think the first thing I remember seeing him in was uh, Thelma and Louise. Uh, yes, yes, the drifter. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people forget he was in that. Um, but, it, it, I mean, he could de-age you enough, to, and then me and him are about the same age now. so <laughs> Worked out for him pretty yeah. well in the Curious Case of, of Benjamin Button. Oh my god, what a great movie. What a wonderful you know they did that so so thoughtfully um and concentrate and the character development on that was so well done um and so uh, they, they they didn't skip they didn't uh, skip the steps that uh, for fear uh, of the character development, for fear of losing the audience. and that was what impressed me most about that movie. And of course, Fight Club is probably, to me, one of the all time best films ever made. So,
3: yeah, period. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about Fight Club. But anyway, that's yeah. neither here nor there. See what I did there? But even I so. Grew, I what... grew
2: up in a fight club.
3: <laughs> oh, geez oh hmm, what's oh hmm, boy? That's a story. For oh, entirely. Small, small town in the deep south. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, all right. Listen, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do, uh, whatever the environment may be. What gives you butterflies in your stomach?
1: Oh, wow. Um, Could be anything.
2: Could be anything. God, nothing much these days. Um, my seeing my son do something new and exciting still is I've lost pretty much all the kind of fears and, and anxieties that I have for, for me. Um, I've, I've done a lot of public, public speaking. I've been on television, radio and stuff like that. I've met a lot of famous people. So that kind of stuff does, not doesn't really impact me anymore. But my son, uh, like I saw, he rode his mo- a motorcycle for the first time, um, He's going to, you know, he's all these new things. He's 19 years old and, mm-hmm. you know, all these new things he's doing. That still gives me butterflies. And it's still, you know, that's still, to, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's not really living vicariously. It's almost watching his accomplishments or mine because, I, you know, I helped to raise him. So, yeah, that gives that's what gives me butterflies. Right on, right on,
3: man. What would you do with an extra hour in a day? Sleep. <laughs> we all need our beauty rest, partner. We got to
2: get them rest, boy. We don't get those solid hours of sleep. We're flipping <laughs> This is what happens when you don't get it. <laughs> so to get these over here, and over here, and over yonder. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I, I'm, the beard covers up a lot of sins. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm trying
3: to grow mine out right now, as you can see. <laughs> see this is this is what a week uh, will get you with this good looking good looking set of uh, facial hair. But anyway, that's either here or there. You've <laughs> had
2: one of these things go completely off the rails. I'll ask you a question. Uh, what do you, what do you, have I ever had one, one of my the, shows one of the go the interviews. off the Have had something to just go completely off the rails with somebody?
3: Maybe one or two guests I've had in the past. I can't exactly, because I've been doing this show for two years now. And, do, Grant, we were doing it during the lockdown. A lot of things tended to blend. Yeah, yeah. So, so I would say maybe once or twice we've had a bit of a situation where things have gone off the rails. But I try to rein them back in as best I can, because I try to keep this show going on a nice and fun and steady track. Yes, okay. yes. Family friendly. I I do my absolute best. It's not easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat it here with you. We're the the person who's watching or listening to this, but running a podcast or running a show or any type of operation is never going to be easy.
2: Well, you know, the profanity is the thing, the the thing that I um, have a hard time refraining from. It's okay. We all have a slip of the tongue. It's okay. Well, I'm by myself most of the time. I spend a lot of time in my office. Uh, I don't have anybody really caring one way or the other what I say. To gibber jabber with, so, yeah, and so it's like mm-hmm. you know, you, but you slip sometimes. You try to be careful. Okay. You try to be considerate of others. Yeah. Some people are, are, are sensitive to that, but you know, I mean. It, that I'm, I'm sure you've run into. Well, you yeah. heard. heard um, you know, I, I, I slipped once during okay. this
3: interview. So it's a, it's okay. We all make mistakes, and we all, we, you know, we just learn from it. That's all. I mean, I try to keep it as uh, nine times out of ten, this show has been family friendly. But this is the tenth time. No, it's okay. It's fine. We're gonna live through it. We're gonna get through it with lots of therapy afterwards. Uh, after <laughs> I leave the studio, I'm gonna go right over to that person's office. I'm gonna sit down with them for a couple of hours and uh, <laughs> kick back a few. I don't know. But either that's way, what that's what Harley I, Davidson
2: for. <laughs> Exactly. Whatever works for the individual—that's up to them. You, you never see a Harley parked in front of a a of therapist's office. No, I, I don't believe I have. I don't believe I have.
3: But anyway, that's neither here nor there. What is something you love that is vintage? Huh? Anything stand out to you in that regard?
2: A lot of things. I love antiques of all kinds. Um, I like. I like. Um, when you mean when you say vintage, do you mean antique, or do you mean just something from maybe my my youth? Yeah, it could
3: be anything from your youth or something that is actually vintage, like an antique or something like that. It could be anything. You can you
2: can interpret I like this to call question our however. Cars you want. from back in the fifties and sixties. There you go. Because they would look like they were they were they weren't just vehicles. They were pieces of art. that were somebody's mm-hmm. design. That's that, right. You know, they 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 really took. That they took time to give the car not just an engine and a steering wheel and windows, but they gave it gave it character. It was a you know what I mean it, mm-hmm. I love the old I love that 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 era of design of of cars. Uh, they, they were and I love um and uh, and of course you know vintage uh, vintage um, guitars uh, the when the back. Back when, like, bird's eye maple and flame maples were, were not s- such rare woods. It's probably what made them rare woods, but that's regardless. Um, they were still beautiful instruments and things like that. Anything, anything that um, you see that somebody.
1: Tax day is coming. Oh, no.
2: So there's some old buildings that you see that you tell how much love and care was put into the, to the construction of them. Anything with that kind of love, care and beauty, I I, 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 I couldn't really pin it down to one thing. I love the feel of old books and the way the bindings are just lovingly crafted. And mm-hmm. we, we as a species have really created some magnificent things. And um, I, there's, I could I could spend a, I could spend the, the rest of this show just talking about all the beautiful things that I love I mean
3: no, that's that's very that's very true like you know in a way life is beautiful depending on what you're looking at or what 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 you're passionate about and all that kind of stuff it's there's no right or wrong way to interpret that it's just up to the person individually but with that being said what is one surefire way to grab your attention <laughs>
2: All right, I'm gonna let that one, I'm gonna let that joke go on by and, and grasp for something a little <laughs> more serious here. Um, <laughs> it's okay.
3: There's a couple. We, we, appreci- we appreciate you
2: your there. discretion. It's okay. Um, well, I mean, it depends on the situation.
3: Um, if you're at a comic con, what's a great way to grab your attention?
2: Eye contact. Um, mm-hmm. Which is difficult for some people, um, especially at Comic Con. And I'm not saying this in a kind of disparaging way. Oh. And I'm actually saying this as as a, as one of the things I love about nerd culture and Comic Cons. Um, that yeah, uh, that it, to get my attention, enthusiasm for nerd culture is the best way to do it. If you want to get my specific attention, eye contact, because I, I'll look back at you. But I know that's difficult for some people, so I, don't, I, I try to also read other cues that somebody's interested in speaking about my work. Um, Comic-Cons and nerd culture is something I would like to like to touch on a little bit. That Comic-Cons and nerd culture opens up um, an, uh, an avenue for people who are a lot of times have uh, difficulties um, in social, social situations to feel... Like they belong somewhere, and like they that they're they're not always the weirdest person in the room because all they can look at, they can look around them and everybody's just as weird as they are. And for the and to come to that reality and come to that realization, I think is really helpful for some people. And some people that's the only time they can be in a social situation is when they're surrounded by that sort of culture. And I think these kind of those kind of conventions I've heard people say, well, one day they'll all be virtual. I don't know. God, I hope not because it is such a wonderful way for people to express that part of themselves, especially for some people who have otherwise no other outlet to express themselves. And, um, I hope those kind of conventions never, never stop being an in-person event. And, um, I tell you what I have noticed, um, a lot of middle aged men who got uh, who suffered through the lockdown and went kind of going crazy. They're suffering financially because you know they were out of work, laid off, whatever. And going to a con is an inexpensive day out. I mean, for 45 bucks, you get a day pass, and that gives you um, access to all the panels and all sorts of stuff to do that are that, uh, that, you, that you don't get charged extra for. I mean, there's stuff you can still spend a lot of money at a con. But you don't have to. I mean, so some guy who wants to take his grandkids out um, after the, and I saw this uh, repeatedly, and I've been, I did like 10, 15 cons last year, or this year, and um, that they were taking their grandkids out because they really didn't have a lot of money to take their kids out. And um, because, like I said, they were coming out of the pandemic. It was finally something they could do. Their kids were loving it. They see Captain Marvel over here, Captain America over there. They're enjoying it. And uh, it costs uh, um, the parents or the grandparents about the same as it would if they took them all out to dinner. So I'm like, you know, I mean, so what a great thing. And what a great thing that, that nerd culture has finally hit the mainstream in that way to where these people who would normally under any other circumstances thought about going to a, a Comic-Con all of a sudden. You see them there too, and they realize, "Hey, I didn't have to dress up; I could just go and enjoy myself." And that's what a lot of people are doing. And I just love the dig on things. It's just, they're just so much. They're, they're they're everything that's great about nerd culture, in my view.
3: I knew there was a great reason for me to keep this tapestry up here in my here in my <laughs> studio. See, he keeps plugging us without even you know with uh, you know without even him me giving him the cue. It's like, please plug us, plug this channel, yes. but even. So- it's all good. Listen, we're all fi- we're all family here. That's that's what I'm saying. That that's it's it's all good stuff, man. It really is. Uh, you know, and those last few questions were indeed brought to you by our good friends over there at Poddex. Make sure you check them out, at poddex.com. Use that promo code Ryan10, 10% off your order. It's some really, really good stuff. Yeah. So with that being said, I want to take this opportunity to say thank you to Brian D. Anderson for being our guest this week on and I Quote. Brian, thank you so much for being here. Where can the person watching or listening to this, find you on social media and everything that you have coming up.
2: You can find me at, um, at blog, uh, author Brian D Anderson at blog, uh, blogspot. You can find me um briandanderson.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, basically, but if you just put in Brian D Anderson, you, I come up everywhere. So you can, I am I am one of the easiest people to find. You you Google Brian D Anderson and I show up. And I am very responsive. If you um, have questions for me, questions about my work, questions about my upcoming appearances, um, I do respond to emails and messages, as long as they're not crazy pants stuff, you know, (laughs) which I I have had happen. But, yeah, that's how you get in touch with me. I'm going to be appearing at Dragon Con September 1st through the 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. Then I will, um, two weeks later, I forget the date, but I will be at um uh fan x in salt lake city utah oh also at chattanooga comic con in october
3: ah there you go there you go awesome stuff well thank you so much uh for being us being here with us i should say brian uh stick around here for a minute if you will my name is ryan of neuroculture you can follow me on twitter and instagram at ryanrpm 5 that's ryan r-y-a-n r-p-m and the number five it's all one word on social media for all the upcoming podcasts and projects. Once again, and I on Saturdays at 12 PM Eastern time. So make sure you check out those episodes there. Also want to thank our friends over there at the radbear.com, the best nerd brand in the business today. If you're looking for something from your favorite properties from Power Rangers to the never ending story, to anime, to movies, other television series of all kinds, check them out at the radbear.com. Make sure you use that promo code Ryan10, Ryan 10, R Y a N one zero for 10% off your order. It's more phenomenal. Let me tell you something. It's truly more phenomenal what those guys are doing over there. So check it, check it, check it, check it out. You're not going to be disappointed. Also, our next watch along is coming up. We're going to be celebrating the 15th anniversary of the remake of 310 to Yuma with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. It turns 15 this year. It's crazy how time flies when you're having fun. Goes down Wednesday night, September the seventh, two thousand twenty-two, at eight p.m. Eastern time on Facebook and YouTube. Simply at its neuroculture. Make sure you're following us on all forms of social media so you get notified. Smash that notification bell when it, so you get. Excuse me, when you get to, so you get notified of when our next videos and our next products go live. Also, a great event coming up in the month of January, two thousand twenty-three. It is called the Multiverse. Fundraiser. It is a free virtual convention that you can attend from the comfort of your very own home. We're going to have celebrity guests. We're going to have very special topics and special panels, and we're going to be raising money in donation to the Ritter Rally, hence the reason it's called the Ritter Rally for the John Ritter Foundation. Going to be doing something special to honor the legacy of the late, great John Ritter, so check it out at www.themultiversefundraiser.com. It's going to be presented by our good friends over at Back of the Serial Box Podcast Network. So make sure you check all that stuff out. You're not going to miss out on it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And January 20th through the 22nd of 2023, the Multiverse Fundraiser. And let me tell you, speaking from experience, fun will be had. It will be had. So you got to check it out. Check it, check it, check it out. And in the meantime, stay healthy, stay strong, stay safe. And remember, life is so much better when reading. Take a look.
0: Famous Faces and Funnies in Melbourne, Florida is leading the way in pop culture fun. From comic books and graphic novels to Funko Pops and collector's items, Famous Faces and Funnies has it all. Rick Shea and the professional team at Famous Faces and Funnies are friendly and knowledgeable. Whether you're looking for toys, props, collector treasures, or a new comic book, Famous Faces and Funnies is your one-stop shop. To find Famous Faces and Funnies on Facebook and Twitter, just type at FFFComics.
1: we through.
0: Join author Gary Zeiger for an animatic short film based on his breakaway Stingray novel series. Watch this animatic short based on the novel Stingray, You Can't Hide Forever, at stingrayseries.com. In Stingray, You Can't Hide Forever, Captain Epsilon is putting the band back together to rescue his protege's little sister from the evil conglomerate, while keeping his state-of-the-art warship, Stingray, out of their hands. Watch as the adventure unfolds in the groundbreaking animatic short at Stingrayseries.com. Then, join the crew of Stingray with the next novel in the series, Stingray Prophecy, where Captain Epsilon and Dr. Zubray are pivotal players in an ancient prophecy. Can they reunite the people of two worlds before they destroy each other? To learn more, visit StingraySeries.com.
1: Choose high-flying action. Choose depth defying escapes. Choose Spine-Tingling Thrills. Choose Nail-Biting Intrigue. Now's your chance to choose the adventure. The Captain Hawkland Adventures. Available on Amazon.com
0: Author Cindy Kep is writing on the edge. Books include Remnant in the Stars, The Loudest Actions, Lines of Succession, Mindstorm, Condemned Courier, The Yerushalon Series, Animal Eye. Find author Cindy Kep at CKOEPP.com today.
1: You've worked hard and written a great book. Now it's time to give it a great cover. If you're an indie author or small press publisher, Plasma Fire Graphics is your source for affordable cover illustration and graphic design. plasma graphics when the look of your book matters to you
3: good morning oh and in case i don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night <laughs>